is fine. They can banter if you want. I just want you to know. I think we're going to go live on YouTube. There we are. Okay. All right. I'll admit all these people. Sean, I met your friend Kyle today at seminary. I think it was Kyle. Okay, so you talked to Kyle then? Yeah. Yeah, he was uh, doing some AV work or computer work or whatever. And he said, are you Dr. Armbrose? I said, yep. And he goes, I know Sean. I'm like, yeah, Sean's great. Yep. Cool. It was neat. Seems like a good guy. Yes, he, he is. Yeah, that's cool. Very cool. It's, you never know who you're going to run somebody you know or know somebody you know and connections and got to be careful, right? Well, Kevin, you were supposed to say, well, if, he, if he's your friend, he's got to be a good guy. That's right. Exactly right. I did say that actually to him. I said, well, Sean's great, so. Okay. All right. Well, it is. What's that? Thank you. Ah, you're welcome. It's true. It's true. This is the truth. Um, it is 7 o'clock, so we're going to try to get started. Um, just because, you know, as always, we have lots to do. And so we are in Galatians. We didn't get very far as far as verses go. We had a lot of, of talk about introducing Galatians and those kind of things. So. Let's pray. Actually, I'm going to record this because some people like the audio still. So let's pray, and then we will take any questions you might have. We pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you this night for this opportunity to gather around your word. We pray that you bless our time together as we discuss Galatians, that we would trust in the good news of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that in him you have loved us, forgiven us of all of our sins, and granted to us eternal life. So now give us your Holy Spirit for wisdom to read these words according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, we are in Galatians chapter 1, or about verse 3, so we didn't get overly far, which is fine. Anybody have any questions from last week or anything you've been thinking about that you thought you want to ask? I'm supposed to say, what questions do you have for me? This question is not about Galatians, but okay. Uh, been reading Matthew. No, I'm sorry, I started Luke actually. But anyway, when Jesus was on the cross, he talked to one of the criminals mm -hmm. to his side and said that today you will be in paradise with me. Right. He didn't go right to paradise. Didn't right. He? Didn't he go to hell first and then come back? Well. And then <laughs> He did a lot between that statement and paradise, didn't he? So, yes. so in Luke, I think Luke, what's that? It's perplexing to me. It is perplexing. So it's in Luke. Um, we can go look if you want. It's in Luke 20. I feel like it's 23. You feel like it's in 23? I feel like it's in 23. Yeah, 2343. Should remember that one. That one should be easy to remember, right? 2343. 
Um, so this is the perplexing thing that Jesus says. A lot of people use this saying to prove things or to talk about timing after death and all that kind of stuff that we just honestly don't know a whole lot about. So we won't solve that problem tonight. But a lot of people use this to kind of talk about, you know, paradise as the place we go when we die and those kind of issues. We won't worry about that too much. But I do want to kind of explain some things about what, what is happening here. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to make sure the Greek is how I remembered it. So uh, 2343 of Luke. So they're hanging on the cross, obviously. Uh, one, one of the people that are crucified next to Jesus is mocking him. And the other um, says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he says to him, truly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. And so, so the, the, the timing of this is what's a little strange. So, so he's on the cross, which is Friday, right? And then Saturday, he's going to be in the tomb, which I can't draw. So, so pretend in your head that's a tomb. And then Sunday is resurrection, right? And I'm not going to try to draw that, is the resurrection, right? Yeah, pretty cool. And then you have 40 days until the ascension. Okay? So Jesus never goes to paradise, supposedly, in this time, right? He's, he's raised here, but he's still on earth. And he doesn't go up to heaven until his ascension. Now, sometime... Um, sometime in here, he descended into hell, but that's not to suffer, that's to proclaim victory. Okay? So, he says here, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And I think, I think this actually is very instructive to us about how we should see the end times, and how we should see uh, what happens to a Christian when they die. And let me just kind of walk you through this, and, and, and then if you have questions, you can feel free to ask. I think most of us concentrate on this phrase, in paradise. But I think that's actually not the phrase that's emphasized. I think the real, I think it really should be read like this. Truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And I think what we get, what we miss is that we always see the goal of Christianity to be a location that we're going to someday die and go to heaven. Okay. We see it as a location, but instead what there's no way to read in paradise as a location in Luke 23, because they don't, Jesus doesn't actually go anywhere. He actually stays on the cross. Right. And then the only place he goes is he goes to the grave. So, so, the, the phrase in paradise is actually a description of what it means to be with me. And I think this is the emphasis for Christians when it comes to death and when it comes to life, is that our goal is to be with Jesus. That's the goal. So what happens when someone dies in the faith, we say, where are they? They're with Jesus. 
and we say, well, how does that work? We go, I don't know yet. All I know is that Jesus will never, right, Jesus will never leave us, right? And so we have, you think of Romans chapter 8. Can death separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? No, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So what happens is he's saying to the thief on the cross that today you're with me. You're mine. You belong to me. Okay? And that being with Jesus is paradise. And being apart from Jesus is actually the punishment of hell. And so if you've been going to church lately and you're on the three-year lectionary, well, you said you're reading Matthew or something about Matthew. So, so if you go back to Matthew 25, I want to show you this just because just, just, just we're having fun here tonight because we're friends. Um, so we've been reading 25, basically. But I want you to go back to Matthew 24, verse 36. So Matthew, Matthew 24, 36. Okay, Matthew 24, 36. So remember, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, the first of the four Gospels, the first of the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So, so if you found it, good. Matthew 24, and what I want you to see is that we've been reading in church, Matthew 24 starts the section, right, with 36. And then you read Matthew, well, you get, the, you get this parable, right? And then you get in 25, you get the parable of the virgins. And then you get the parable of the talents. And then you get the final judgment. And here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. This is a unit. Okay. And it starts like this. Concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not the angels, nor the son, but the father. So listen to this. For as it was in the day of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. Okay, so the, the son of man coming is how the section starts. Now, the last, the last little story we're going to read in this section is in 25, verse 31. So listen to how that story, this is the last story of the section because it's going to connect. So how does it start? When the son of man comes. Okay, so everything between these two statements is going to connect. We're going to retell the same thing. It's the coming of the Son of Man, coming of the Son of Man, coming of the Son of Man, coming of the Son of Man. Okay? So, in the first story, you say, all right, so you're going to keep going. And at the end of the story, in verse 50, I'm, I'm sorry, if there's any kids present, don't listen. This is the tough part, right? At the end of the story, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect, so it's coming of the Son of Man, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Okay? So at the end of these stories, you've got the coming of the Son of Man. At the end of the stories, those who do wrong, those who are not with the Son of Man, with Jesus, will be outside. They'll be away from him, and away from Jesus is suffering. Right? So, parable of the ten virgins. What happens? It's about the coming of the Son of Man. You're looking for the hour when he's going to come. What does he say? Afterward, the other virgins will came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I'm sorry, in verse 11, truly, and 12, truly, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. So get away, 
right? They can't come in. Watch because you don't know the air of the hour. Next parable, parable of the talents, okay? Look at the end of it. Verse 29, for to everyone who has more will be given, he will give an abundance, but the one who has not, even what he has will take him and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see it? Do you see the parallels? At the end of all these stories, there's a casting away from Jesus and away from Jesus' suffering and death, okay? And then the last one, this is the conclusion. So the Son of Man comes in his glory, right? Separates the sheep from the goats. We're in Matthew 25, Cindy. Okay? And then what does he do? He says to the, to the ones who are blessed, he says, Come into the kingdom of my father, but then listen to the end of the story. He says, then he will answer them, truly, truly, I say to you in verse 45, as you did not do to the one of least of me, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So here's the point. In all of these stories, in Matthew 24, verse 36 through, through Matthew 25, the point is that the son of man is coming. And if you want to live, you want to be with him. Okay. If you're not with him, you are outside where there is suffering and death. Right. That's the idea is that you want to be with Jesus when he comes. You don't want to be away from him. That's suffering and death. So what does he say to the, to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me. With me. And the with me is paradise. And so this is actually the Christian life, is that we desire to be with Jesus. Okay? And so how are we with Jesus? We're with him in his... As we read his word, we're with him and we receive his sacraments, right? We're with him in the church because that's the body of Christ, okay? And so we're, we want to be with Jesus. So does that make sense, Craig? It's, it's yeah. not like a... That's it's not like a... Thank you. Okay, cool. Thank you. I didn't mean to pull us away from no, Galatians, but... Uh... It was something it's that all, was it's all Galatians eventually. It all fits. Thank you. It's all the same book. Okay? And I do encourage you guys to read the parables of Matthew that way. Um, whenever you get to a parable that doesn't make any sense, don't just keep reading the same parable over and over. Read around it. Because a lot of times there's parallel stories that explain each other. Okay? There's themes. There's repetition. It helps. Okay. In Galatians, or any other questions anybody has. That was fun. All right, Galatians chapter 1. Let's read verses 3 through 5. Galatians 1, 3 to 5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, great. Thank you. 
Mm. Okay. Um, number one, why do you receive good things from God? He loves us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just because he loves us. <laughs> There's no other reason, right? So, so what do we call that? That God, um, I'm trying to avoid Latin words. He ben he's benevolent, right? Why, why is God benevolent? Because he loves us. Good. So what we say is that grace, when you look at these words, we say grace is God is benevolent toward us because of Jesus. Okay? If you want to know it in Latin, it's favor dei propter Christum. Okay? That's kind of the, the classic way that the church has said it. So the grace of God is the favor of God because of Jesus or on, be, on behalf of Jesus. So when Paul starts off and says, grace to you and peace from God, our father, and Lord Jesus Christ, this is actually establishing that this is something that begins and ends with God. This is something, this is just free gift given. Okay. Free gift given. And it's, it's all given because of Jesus. And remember, like you said, love. So whenever you hear of Jesus, what you also want to hear is God's love. Whenever you hear the word Jesus, you want to thank God's love for you. That's, that's what Jesus is. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we might be called the children of God, and so we are. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Okay, And we talked, when we studied that in 1 John 3, we talked about what kind of manner of love it's Jesus. That's the manner of love. Right. Doctor, I would like to maybe also add to that, too, just in terms of the scope of that, uh, that that includes God's love for humanity from the beginning, uh, you, know, you know, from the very beginning. If there had been no plan for Christ and redemption from the beginning, I mean, God showed love to his people. God shows, you know, love and mercy really to, to everybody. But if there had not been from before the foundation of the world, a savior uh, so I just kind of wanted to point out that it's, it's probably also worth emphasizing that this is not just, not just the new Testament, not just the apostles, not just the crowds with Jesus, but all throughout all of human history, God loves humans and humanity doesn't hate them and, and cast them into fire like we deserve because Christ was planned from the beginning and, and was ever present. Yeah. So, so, um, that's an interesting point you bring up so that we don't want to go into too many rabbit trails tonight, but Romans three actually talks about this, that that part of God's mercy and grace is that in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished until Christ might come as the redemption for those sins, which is a very interesting thing that Paul says. And and one of the things that we've talked about this before in the class is that when we talk about God's grace, as we as we learn in Matthew chapter five. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous so that God's benevolence toward us in Christ is not just for those who believe all this. Actually, everyone receives this benefit in some measure. Okay. In some measure. And, and again, that's the, that's the judgment at the end time is that at the end times, this will be removed from those who are outside of Christ. That's kind of scary. Actually, that's very scary. Okay. I mean, you're sort of, I mean, if you think about it, you're, you're hanging by a thread as an unbeliever, which is just God's tender mercy for you uh -huh. for now, you know, yeah, for now. Uh, and it, it's a pretty strong thread, but you know, it'll, it'll be cut at the end. Yep. 
it will be cut. And that's terrifying. That's exactly terrifying. Okay, very good. Now the next word is peace. So that's grace and then peace. Now remember, at the time when Paul was writing in this, the Galatians lived in the Roman Empire. And one of the things about the Roman Empire was the Pax Romana, okay? The peace of Rome. And all the Roman citizens were taught to believe that they lived at peace because of the might of Rome. So whatever you had to put up with as a Roman citizen, it was worth putting up with because basically you could live at peace knowing that the Roman Empire would take care of you, okay? Nobody would dare attack you because you had the, the rule of Rome over you and you could enjoy living in the, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. They had roads, they had commerce, they had all kinds of stuff. And this is, you know, you can see when you see the movies like of Jesus time, you see this, this Roman soldiers walking around, right? And, and you're like, oh, military presence. And yeah, it was oppressive in some ways, but remember they said it's worth it because you get the peace of Rome. And the reason you get the peace of Rome is because Caesar is Lord. Okay. So they were told to confess that Caesar is Lord. Well, now Paul walks in. He says, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord. Peace from the Lord. But he does not say Caesar. He says, no, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Okay, and the peace he's talking about is not a peace that a government can give you or people can give you. He's talking about the peace that comes because of Jesus. Okay, so no Pax Romana. The peace we're talking about is the peace of Christ. And you look up John 14, verse 27. So the Gospel of John, fourth book of the New Testament. So if you're in Galatians, go back to the front of the Bible, a couple of books. So we're in Galatians. You got to go back to 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Romans, Acts, and then Gospel of John. Okay. So if you're in Galatians, you go 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Romans, Acts, and then John. Chapter 14, verse 27. Chapter 14, verse 27. Now, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all one long speech of Jesus, basically. So you're going to lot, if your Bible has red words, like mine does, you'll have a lot of red in these chapters, right? You have a lot of red, because those are the words that Jesus said. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says this, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Do you see what he's saying? They live under this Pax Romana where they're being told, don't worry, the Roman government's got you. And Jesus walks up and he goes, I'm going to give you a better peace. I'm going to give you a peace that is far beyond any human peace, far beyond any emotional peace, far, far beyond any mental peace. I'm going to give you peace with God. And that peace is eternal. Okay? It's, it's an eternal peace. It's a promised peace. Okay? So when Paul says grace to you and peace, 
he's kind of invoking this grace idea, which is which is often seen as one of the characteristics of God in the Old Testament, that he's he loves his children, he's steadfast, love and enduring faithfulness, right? And and this is because of Jesus now, because of what his death and resurrection. And he's also invoking this idea of peace to those in the Roman Empire. And he's saying, kind of explicitly, he's saying, it's not from Caesar, it's from Jesus. Okay? Does that make sense? Any questions on that? I, I have one comment, if I may. Uh, I, I yeah. put it in the chat because I'm trying yeah. not to interrupt like verbally as much. But uh, uh, this there's a fascinating like extra biblical tie in here to St. Augustine as an early apologist for the Christian church, because after Rome eventually fell, a lot of those people who worshipped, you know, thousands of of um, of Roman gods or whatever, you know, they would have not only the ones you know about the five or six from the big ones, but they would have. Uh, you know, the God of doorways and the God of corn when it's ankle high and corn when it's knee high and corn when it's up to your waist or whatever. And they would have all of these things. And they said, oh, well, you Christians ruined this for us. You Christians are, you know, with your fake God, you know, Jesus and, and whatever, you ruined this. And and this this book that he wrote, The City of God, which I think is applicable. Part of the reason I bring it up is because I think it's applicable still today. Um, very applicable today. In fact, I started reading it, just looking at the climate of things. And it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, America's not, <laughs> America's not long for this world. Uh, yeah, but exactly. but he, he rebuts that. And he talks about the, the whole point of this, the city of God is that the city of men is not the thing that will last. The city of right. God is the thing that will last. And it, and he is deft in his apologetic uh, against, yeah. the, uh, against the people who were accusing Christians. And it's just a fascinating time. Yep. Here. I just thought it I'd really is. It. And um, that's actually a classic work of the church is, is August city of god it's also really hard to read it's pretty thick i'm doing the audio version and it is 36 straight hours so i've gotten yeah, like absolutely. yeah have someone else read it for you but it's still that's still a long listen yeah it's, it's a it's a kind of a long extended metaphor in many ways um but it's yeah it really brings out the idea of what is permanent and what is temporary and it's a very it's a very nice apologetic in that that's very true okay um any other questions on on kind of grace and peace being these gifts that we get from god Okay, number two, what is this present age like? It is evil. It's evil. Okay, now the weird thing is, when was this book written? I don't know if you remember last week. You can be off by even 100 years. 40. 100 AD maybe? Right, okay, 100 AD would be late, so... So, right, before 100 AD, that's a long time ago. And Paul says, this evil age. So if you think America in 2020 is bad, it's been that way for a long time. Since then. And this is, this is really the point, is that we exist, before the second coming of Jesus Christ, we actually exist in a reality in which the world, the devil, and our sinful nature are all encouraging us towards sin. And we look for deliverance from this present age. Now, there's a balance. I want to say this explicitly. There's a balance in the Christian life be between being an escapist, right? They don't want to, we don't want to be escapists where we're just saying, well, who cares about this world? One day we'll have paradise. We don't want to be that way. But we also want to recognize that, that, that our current situation is a temporary situation, and it is under the influence of sin and death and, and evil, and it's going to get worse, 
That's a promise. It's going to get worse until the day when Christ returns. And so we want to live our lives as Christians, acknowledging that our life is, is influenced by sin and death. And that's a bad thing. That's evil. We don't want to embrace that. And even as, as many things on this earth are God's gift, we still live in this anticipation of a better place, of a, of a time that's coming. Okay, so the Bible actually, Paul says this over and over. We read in Ephesians, if you remember that when you were saying that last time, is that this present age is evil. Okay, it even says that Satan is the prince of this age or the prince of this world, um, those kinds of things. So there is a point in which um, human sin, and this is what's kind of kind of astonishing is that sin is not just being naughty. Sin is actually contrary to God's will. And because of sin, because of Adam's sin, the whole world was cursed. Okay? So um, if you can believe it, we exist in a world in which some microscopic virus can shut down our entire existence. All because we're scared of dying. Which, by the way, why are we scared of dying? Sin. Because we're mortal and we could actually die because of because we're all sinners. It's a real fear, right? It could actually happen. Now, most people are probably not scared of themselves dying. They're worried about someone they love dying or someone they know who's in a in a group that's more, you know, prone to getting sick or something like that. I understand that. But the idea is that all of us exist in this reality in which death is always the enemy and death is a reality and it's not fun to go through death. It's not fun to have a loved one die, right? It stinks. And so one of the things that we do want to always admit is that we live in this present evil age and we are waiting for Christ's second coming when he will restore this fallen creation. He will actually recreate it to be a non-fallen creation, a, a creation without sin. And we will live forever with him in this new reality in which the world will no longer be cursed because of sin. So when we talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus, it doesn't just fix human sin problem. It fixes the sin problem for all of creation. Okay. It actually fixes the sin problem of all of creation. And that's, that's part of what we're looking forward to in this. That's what we talk about is the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth, all those kind of words. Okay. Questions on that. I know I'm running through my comment quota, but I, I do have one comment, which uh, especially since we're at the end of the church calendar, uh, you know, I, I like to also, and I think this group has actually pointed this out. And I think you've done a good job in teaching uh, about talking about the, you know, the, the apocalyptic literature and uh, not looking for the end times to be a, you know, this political, you know, the Iran, Shah of Iran or, or something like right. that, but rather these are the evil times. Uh, the saints who are dying now are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Um, yeah. All of that. I mean, this, this is it. So don't, don't be looking for signs because right. he can come anytime. That's exactly right. It, it is the end. It is the last days or the end times. That's exactly right. Okay. Number three. So who is God? But he says it twice in this in this paragraph. It's not hard. God. Father. Father. Okay. Good. So remember, in the New Testament, God is usually called the Father. Okay. And, and as, as I'm going to keep telling you, 
how do you know a God who reveals himself as father? Because he has a son. Right. You always know him through his son. And that's, again, what Paul is getting us to understand here, is that when God says, I'm your father, that means he has a son. And he wants you to know him through his son. So if you want to know who God is, he's going to come to you through his son. You don't want to try to do this. If you try to go out here and try to get to God outside of the son, it's not going to work. If you want to know God, you receive him through his son. Okay? And this is the way of theology, is that all of us try to get to know God or to have God on our own terms or to figure him out. And what the scriptures continue to say is, if you want to know who God is, you want to be, you want to look at Jesus. You want to learn who Jesus is. And that's, so listen to Paul's words. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. See? So he's saying, this God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the will of God the Father. It's all the same thing. Okay, so when you get the son, you get the father. If you want to get the father, you got to get the son. If you want to understand who the son is, you got to get to the cross. So are we children of Jesus or the father? We are brothers and sisters of Jesus. Okay, so we are adopted heirs into the family of God, the father through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we pray to God, we can also say our father so the new testament has us as kind of brothers really brothers but we would say today in our parlance brothers and sisters of jesus okay so we also call god father so does that make sense i know it doesn't make sense but that's the way it goes does that help yeah we're children we're children of the children of god correct mm -hmm. And yet we're brothers and sisters of Christ? Yes. Which makes us children of him too. So remember, there, I just, I don't want to freak you out too much, but just, just hang on for a second, okay? Stick with me on this one. Isaiah chapter 9. You all know it. For unto us a son is born, a child is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Almighty. Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Whoa. How can Jesus, the Son, be the Father? Strange, huh? And so this is, this is part of the place where we realize that, that God is properly the Father, but Jesus will also be, in many ways, the Father to Israel. Okay, because remember, in the Old Testament, Israel is called God's son. Okay, so Israel, the nation of Israel, is referred to as God's son in the Old Testament. You think of Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, where he saw, says, out of Egypt, I have called my son, referring to the nation of Israel. Okay, so what happens is as Jesus is the Lord over Israel, 
So he is father to God's son. But what happens is the in, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, he actually takes on this role of Israel. So Jesus is at one time Israel and Israel's savior at the same time. Just like, just like in, in the New Testament, Jesus is the temple and the one whose presence makes the temple holy. The same time, he fulfills both roles. And the root of the stump of Jesse's tree and the branch. And the root of the stump of the Jesse's tree. And just all, it's just all these metaphors, you, you can't exhaust them because Jesus fulfills all of it. Okay. So, so when you say, are we the father's son? Yes. Are we brothers and sisters of Christ? Yes. Does that mean Jesus isn't our Lord? No, he, he is. So we would also be children of him in his, in the Godhead, right? When we're talking about his divinity, we would say that we are, he is our God. So we're under him too. But when we're talking about him as, as relationship to the father, we would say we are his brothers, like it says in the scriptures. So, so it's, it's kind of all and, and above. Is, is that a Christology thing? Like according to his human nature, according to, you know, that, that sort of thing. I mean, the other thing too, is through him, all things were created. So, right. you know, he also, we we typically think of the father as creator, the son as redeemer, but the son created, I mean, yeah, you, you know, all so. think of God, the father's creator. I don't, I think of Jesus because I'm a John guy. And John says through him, all things remain apart from him. Nothing was made that has been made. Right. So I think of Jesus, you know, all you people with your, and uh -oh. none of us are wrong. That's right. And it all, and it's all, yes. Yeah, that, that works. It's true. That's exactly right. So I know number three is a little bit tough of a question. Who is God? And I only give you that much space, but, but what I'm, what I'm getting you to see is that it, as, as Paul talks about God, the father in this passage, he, he's talking about him in relationship to the son. And when he's talking about the son. He's talking about what he did for us to free us from our sins, according to God's will. And this is really how we are to think about God. We are to think about him as a God who loves us so that he sent his son to die for us. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are rescued from the evil age and we are reconciled with God the Father. Okay, And we have peace with God because of that. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by grace, we have peace with our Lord. Right? We have peace with God. So that's, that's what God gives us in Christ. Okay? So number four, what is the glory of God? So in verse five, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. Let's say it a different way. For what do we glorify God? His mercy? Yeah, we glorify him for his mercy. What else? His power, power, delivering us. Yes, delivering us. Good. So, what we wanted to, what we want to glorify God for is His mercy, His grace, His love, delivering us. Right. So, when we glorify God, right? When we glorify God, I just want you guys to kind of think this through. When it comes time to praise God, it's okay to remind Him that He's big. That's okay. You know, it's okay to say, God, you're a really big God. You're really awesome and powerful. And you can, you can move stuff and you, and you can hold things in your hand. That's pretty cool. But that isn't really a good reason to praise him. Because if, if a God is that big and strong and he's mad at you, 
that's not good, right? You're going to get smushed. So what we really want to glorify God for, we really want to praise God for, is his mercy. We really want to glorify him for his act of loving us in Jesus Christ. As the psalmist reminds us, is that we will retell of the wonders of our God, of the works that his hands have done to the next generation, in the mercies and the in the love that he has for us. So we, we really glorify God for his act to save sinners. You know, and that even goes back to when the Hebrews are going to cross over into the into the promised land. And, you know, he sits down with Moses and he's like, okay, you're going to write this all down. All this stuff I did for you, not just like in general, I made things and not just in general, I'm mighty, but like I did this for you and this for you and this for you and this for you, for you, for you, for you. And you're going to remind the people of this and they're going to talk to their kids about this and you're going to remember this, except you're also going to go whore after other gods. Yeah, which is bad. So, so what happens is that's exactly right. Throughout the Old Testament, just, just think this through for a second. It's, it's not that hard. How many chapters does the, does the creation get? Two, three. Two. How many chapters does the Exodus get? Literally a whole book. Literally a whole book. Okay? In the book of Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob make up chapters 12 through 50. So the patriarchs leading up to the Exodus get 12 through 50. How many chapters of the creation get? Two. Okay. So in Isaiah chapter 43, it says this, but this is what the Lord says. He who created you and he who formed you. So he identifies himself as the creator, but then he goes on. And he says this, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you're passed through the rivers, I will be with you. When you pass through the flames, I will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious and you are honored in my sight. So I give I give peoples in exchange for you. Cush and Seba, I give them in exchange for you. Because I love you, says the Lord. See, and, and what happens is God is the creator. There's not about that. That's who he is. That's one of the things he is. But when it comes time for us to praise him, we say, God, you're the creator. But here's the thing. As the creator, you didn't create the world and walk away and kind of go, what are you guys doing? No, you created the world and then you had mercy and you and in your son, Jesus Christ, you acted to save sinners who don't deserve your love. And for that, we praise you. For that, we glorify you. And for that, we serve you with our lives. Because I've been loved with a love that I don't deserve, that I love people in my life, not because they deserve it, but because I've been loved with a love that I don't deserve. And that empowers me to love people with a love that maybe they don't deserve, right? But see, now we know what real love is. We know love from a God who had every right to cast it out in the utter darkness or weeping and gnashing teeth, but he doesn't. Instead, he saves us. And he says, this is love. This is love. That your sins are forgiven. That eternal life is yours, even though you've earned hell. I'm going to give you life instead. That's love. And that's why we glorify God. That's why we praise God. That's why I read the scriptures. Because of this amazing love. This amazing love. And, and really, as you gather around Thanksgiving, or as you, as you turn on the Zoom so you can have Thanksgiving with your, your family over Zoom, or, you know, virtual turkey or whatever you're doing. I don't know. But as you, as we, but even all this, listen, but even all this, what can we do? We can give thanks. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, 17, 18 say this. It says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So what are we going to do this Thursday? We're going to say thanks to God for his amazing grace, right? For his amazing love. First of all, in Jesus Christ, for he saved us. But then also look at you. Look at all the blessings. Look at the people here tonight. We all love you. We might not even know you that well, but you're a little person on a little screen in our computer. And you know what? It's a little community of people who love each other in the word of God, right? And, and don't forget that, that that's part of what God is doing here is he's coming to us to love us. First of all, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, but also to give us the church, the body of Christ, and to give us things, people in our lives that we can love and we can rejoice with and, and gifts that we can share. And so we give thanks to God. We glorify him because he's given us as his son, Jesus Christ, but also he has grace and mercy on us and he gives us all good things. Romans 8.32 says this, if God did not spare his son, but gave him up for us. How will you not also along with him graciously give us all good things? See, if Jesus, if God gave us Jesus, then that's the kind of God he is. He's a God who gives, and we can actually expect him to continue to give us good things, and he does. And for that, we say thanks. Because my mom, who's watching, she taught me when someone does something nice for you, you say, thanks. So that's what we do. God does something good for us, and we say, thanks. It's that simple. Okay. Any questions on that? Any questions on the introductory to Galatians? It's kind of the introduction to the whole book. Okay. Now here's the weird thing about the book of Galatians and the rest of Paul's epistles. He has this little introductory thing where he greets everyone and talks about Jesus and God. And then he says something really nice about the church. He'll say, you guys are just great. You know, I've been praying for every day and I rejoice because you're strong in the faith and you're an example to all the other churches in the world. And I, I can't wait to come see you all again so we can have fun. But in Galatians, he doesn't. He is so mad. I can comment on this too, just a little bit, because I've been reading a book about this New Testament stuff, and there is a uniform format for all of the epistles, the yep. introduction, thanksgiving, the body, which is going to be whatever it is, an exhortation, and then a conclusion or greetings and stuff like that. And this is the one that deviates from right. that because he's Holy just like, bam. Right. He's like, okay, so grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, here's the thing. Here's what you're doing wrong, and I'm not happy, which is just a total bizarre thing for Paul to do. But that's what he does. He gets right at it. So let's read. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Okay. It doesn't get any stronger than that. Paul's not kidding. Okay. So uh, number five. From what have the Galatians turned? 
from the gospel of Christ. From the, the, they have turned from the gospel, which is in the grace of Christ. Okay. So they've turned away from the gospel. Now, just real quick. This isn't a hard one. You guys know this. What is the gospel? First of all, what does the word gospel mean? Good news. Right. It literally means good news. Okay. That's what the Greek word means. Good news or good proclamation. Um, and what is it? If someone says to you, you're a Christian, what's the gospel? What's the good news? What is it? That Christ died for your sins. Okay, good. Christ for you. Good. So Christ died on the cross and rose again for you. Right. So another word we use is save, right? He saves. Good. That's another gospel word. Okay. Forgiveness of sins. This is gospel. So the gospel is what God, what God has done in Christ for you. And, and I like how what you very God often will say definitively. What's that? I said, I, I like how very often you will also say definitively. I think yes, that's is, a good word to add. My, my, my little shorthand is the, the definitive action of God in Christ Jesus to save sinners. I love that's that. The, that is a great way to put it. The content of the gospel. Okay. What God has done in Christ for you, the definitive action of God to save sinners in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. That is good news. Okay. Now, is the fact that you're a sinner good news? No. Save sinner, yes. What's that? No, but a save sinner, yes. Okay, is good. good. News. So the, the saved part is the gospel part, right? But when you say I'm a sinner, now we're not talking gospel. Now we're taking, now we're talking law. The law accuses us. The law tells us the things that we have done that we shouldn't have done, and the things that we shouldn't have that we didn't do that we should have done, right? So we say, um, I haven't loved God with my whole heart. I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. There are I, I I've done things that I shouldn't have done, and I haven't done things I should have done. Right? I'm, I'm sinful in my thoughts, I'm sinful in my words, I'm sinful in my deeds. At the end of the confession, you got me coming and going. There's no, there's no escape in this. I'm sinful from head to toe and back up again. That's, that's the law, right? But the gospel is that God has done something to forgive your sins. And that is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that is for you. That is for you. And because of Jesus, your sins forgiven. And that last for all eternity no one can take it away from you nothing can stand opposed to that gospel because the very son of god himself conquered death in the grave on your behalf that's an eternal promise given to you by god and that's good news okay and he says to the galatians you've turned from that you, what, so, what, I, you've turned from that. I, you've turned from that? 
So why is he so astonished? Why does this astonish Paul? Because you can't get any better than the gospel of Christ. That's Anything right. Less what? than that is. You, you can't improve upon this. So apparently some teachers had come into Galatia and said, that stuff Paul's teaching you? Yeah, that's nice. But there's more. And the Galatians said, ooh, we want more. You mean Jesus plus something? And Paul's going, you fell for that? How could you fall for that? I clearly portrayed Christ as crucified in front of your eyes, and now you're falling for some other gospel? That doesn't make sense. Paul's saying, the Holy Spirit himself taught you to believe my gospel. Then some other teachers come in, and you listen to them? What do they got? What do they? And so Paul is just astonished. He can't believe that the church would actually chase after another gospel and then question Paul's ability to preach the gospel. It just freaks him out. And that's what we're going to read about for the next two chapters, is Paul just going, I, I, I don't even, even know what to say. I don't even know what to do here. Okay? To be fair to the Galatians, it is apparently, through the course of human history, a very attractive thing to substitute the gospel of Christ for the gospel of people. It's present evil age. All right, number, number seven. So is there any other good news? Look what Paul says. Even if a different angel, even if we, just, just track with me on this for a second, even if we, or even a different messenger from heaven, even if somebody walks in saying, I got a message from God, even if that person comes and preaches something different than the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, don't believe it. Don't believe a word of it. Because if anybody comes to you from God, he will preach to you the same gospel. If anyone teaches anything different, they are not from God. Remember, the word angel simply is the word messenger. And this could be a heavenly creature, an angel. They do exist. Or this could also be heard as even as we or a messenger from heaven itself comes and preaches a different gospel. Do not believe it. Because Satan himself will come dis disguised as an angel and will deceive you. Don't believe it. It's not the messenger that matters. It's the content of the gospel. I think it's fascinating that he says, even if we, like if I, Paul, yeah. show up tomorrow. If I change my mind. Yeah. Listen to me. Yeah. Right? And, and I would say that, I would say it as your Tuesday night Bible study teacher. If you log on next Tuesday and I'm saying, you got to earn your salvation, you got to do that, you got to give money to my Bible study or you won't be saved. Well, first of all, don't give me any. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't want money. This is crazy, right? If any pastor ever tells you, you got to give money or God won't love you, you just walk around, you just get up and leave. That is not true. God does not want your money. He doesn't need your money. God has given everything to you. He owns everything. You think God is up there going, well, if I just had some extra walking around money, 
no, 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 no. Your pastor wants money from you, but not God. Don't let him, don't let him lie. Now your pastor, Joe, you got good pastors. I know most of your pastors, you got, you're good to go. But if anybody ever, you turn on TV, there's some preacher talking about how much money they need. You turn it off. That's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. Okay. So what Paul is saying, even if we walk into town and we've got a different message, don't believe us because there's only one gospel. And it is Jesus Christ. Now, remember, 1 John chapter 4, we did this together. You and we, we did this together like in April or May. And we talked about how the spirit of the Antichrist is anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ in the flesh. And then it goes on to say, and you will know the test the spirits because you will know by the ones that are preaching. So what do we do? We listen to people's words to judge the teaching. And what Paul is saying is that if it's not Christ on the cross for you as God's definitive action to save mankind, get out. It's not the gospel. If they're adding works, it's not the gospel. If they're adding spiritual gifts, it's not the gospel. If they're adding anything to it, it's not the gospel. Christ alone. God's action to save you. I think there's a fantastic opportunity for polemic against uh, Roman Catholicism or even Eastern Orthodoxy in just that little word, we. I've, I've never heard anybody cite this in those discussions, but Paul condemns himself as a person yeah. subordinate to the gospel. And exactly right. just struck and me just now. Really, the rest of chapter one and the first half of chapter two is that Paul is saying, I'm nothing. I am nothing. The gospel is everything. Okay, very good. That's exactly right. I've never heard me talk about that way either, but maybe they should. Maybe we should look that up. Now, I also want to just emphasize this real quick, is that because of the good news of Jesus, we have other good things in our life. But they're always subordinate to this good news. Right? So if if Robin, uh, Robin's out getting, getting Anna from the airport right now. If she lands safely and they get home safely, that's good news. We're not saying that's not good news. But it's not as good as this news, right? It's subordinate, this good news. And whatever good news we get, we thank the, the God who gave us Christ first. And then, therefore, we see that any goodness comes from his hand as a result of his love in Christ. Does that make sense? So what Paul is talking about here is there is no other gospel, meaning God and salvation for sinners. There is no other good news, right? And all other things that we call good are good under this goodness of God. And, and think about that in the reverse. Let's say that your, you know, your wife and family get home and that's great, but there's no Christ and they're condemned to hell anyway. Then there is no good not news. Good. That's not good. That's right. That's right. Exactly right. So number eight. So what is a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is one? Name one. Anything that teaches other than Christ crucified. Exactly. So name one. What, what have you heard? Prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. Good. If you have enough faith, God will bless you. And you go, this, that's what? No, that's, that's not Jesus. That's, I don't know who you're talking about. You're not talking about God the Father. What's another one? Here's one I heard today. The gospel is to glorify God. Glorify. Yeah, glorify God. Elise, did you have one? Sorry. I can hear you. I'm sorry. Purgatory. Purgatory. Okay. Purgatory. Yeah. There's another one. 
well, there's the, you, you know, God's going to forgive most of your sins, but you're going to have some hanger honors and you're going to burn them off for a period of several thousand years or whatever. And then you're going to have to pay somebody to get you out or have a mass set or, and you're going, wait a minute. It, it, that's not how it goes. That's not the gospel. Okay. What about this one? What about, I mean, we've all kind of progressed enough in our intellectual abilities and understanding of, of the history of religions to know that, you know, there's just one God. We all believe that there's just lots of ways to talk about him. So, you know, if you want to be a Buddhist and talk about him that way, all right. You want to be a Hindu and talk about him that way. All right. That's just one way be, up the mountain, man. That's just one more way up the mountain. We're all going to the top somehow. And what does Paul say? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. No other gospel. No. We're not pluralists. We're not universalists. We don't believe that all religions are just another way to get to God somehow. No, no, no. Because the only God we know is the one who has sacrificed his son, Jesus Christ, for you to forgive your sins. That's the only God you know. You know the Father through his son. Without the son, you can't know the Father. You can't get to God in some other route. Matter of fact, Paul doesn't say, well, let's just all get along. No, he says, let him be eternally condemned. Let him be accursed. Okay? And that's how important this is, is that the one who teaches something false, Paul doesn't say, let's be nice to him. No, he says, let him be accursed. Okay? And, and this is really what we, the church, I'm telling you, it's, it's time for the church to stand up and say this, that we will suffer no gospel except for the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And we will not pretend that these other messages are similar because they're not. There's one gospel and it's Christ. It's not my gospel. It's not Kevin's gospel. It's not the Lutheran gospel. It's not the non-Lutheran gospel. It's not the evangelical gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we listen for. Is it talking about God's action to save in Christ Jesus? Okay. That's what we want to, that's what we want to focus on. Okay. And it's after time. Anybody, any questions before we go or any comments? One, oh, sorry. Society seems to be extremely focused on global warming and i'm not uh -huh. saying, i'm not debating whether or not it exists but when i guess with the intense focus on it is that another pagan worship of the earth yes yes so so we're always tempted to take god's good gifts like creation and to and to observe good things about it that god's given us dominion over creation we should take care of the gifts he's given us in creation absolutely true and then we can just take that we can just twist it all of a sudden where our life becomes oriented around this thing like we're got to take care we got to save the earth we got to we got to be obsessed with with saving the earth and we go whoa whoa we just cross the line from caring for and about god's creation to making it this obsession and then putting humanity in the place of saving it which really crosses lots of lines so global warming here's my stance on global warming every winter i'm for it i don't like being cold so bring it on let's warm this whole thing up i'm just kidding i don't know nothing about science um all right well 
yeah, I don't know about science. So yeah, I, I think all things. So so creation, worship of the creation is always a temptation for us in whatever form we want it to be. God gives us something good and we end up worshiping it instead of thanking God for it. So people can get obsessed with, with ecology and those kind of things. But there's nothing wrong with the earth and, and being concerned about the earth. There's nothing wrong with caring about the earth and, and being thankful for the earth. Nothing wrong at all. It's great. It's God's good creation. But we don't want to cross that line into making it worship of it or being obsessed with it, right? Or thinking it's our God, which a lot of people do. Okay. So yeah, that's exactly right. And, and we could name it all night long. We, um, I don't want to bring this up. I know nobody here has this problem, but money can be our God. Our own health can be our God. Love of self is definitely a God that we all face. Um, being entertained is definitely a God that we all face. So we're always tempted to find another God. And then what we want to do is find another gospel to make that God okay. And, and Paul says, no, 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 no. There's only one gospel. And that's what we're going to talk about. Okay. Now, here's a good thing. Before we go, we can't end on a law note. So we got to end on a gospel note. Here's the thing. I want to say this explicitly. The gospel is true. It's not just the best idea. It's actually true. God in Christ died for you. And that's true. It happened. It's real. It's eternal. It's not just the best idea or the best philosophy or the best teaching. It's actually the truth. And that's why we, we trust it. Because it's true. All right. We got to go. We'll pray. If you have any questions, I can stick around for a little bit. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we rejoice for the one gospel is truly good news. Because you are a God who loves us. A God who sent his son to die on a cross and to forgive our sins. And so we glorify you. We glorify you for the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of eternal life. Thank you for your grace and the peace that we have. So this night we ask you to allow us to rest and to sleep in your peace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. A blessed Thanksgiving to everyone. Yes, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.